Welcome back to the Young Woman Podcast. This is a podcast for ambitious young women to be inspired, empowered, and equipped with the personal development tools and game-changing career advice to unlock inner confidence and achieve those big dreams. traditionally been really inaccessibly aspirational and exclusive and not for everyone. Um, our contributors, you know, really do, we have contributors from size 6 to size 26. We have contributors that are in their 70s. Um, we have contributors from all over the world of all different colours, of all different shapes and sizes. Um, and it's incredible because... Hello and welcome back to the Young Woman Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Elise O'Halloran and I am your host and I am joined today by an incredible woman, Sarah Neal. Sarah is the founder of the fashion tech venture Miss Tyler, which is a venture-backed startup app disrupting the world of fashion with a mission to help women feel more confident in the clothes that they wear. Miss Tyler is a fashion app which connects you with women, your shape, size, and style. Sarah's fashion company is solving the $1 trillion fit problem by creating a more empowering and personalized shopping experience for all women. Sarah has some amazing insights to share on this episode on her journey to being a tech entrepreneur and the lessons she has learned along the way. so much for joining me. You're currently building Miss Tyler, an innovative fashion app. Could you talk us through your career journey and what has led you to this point? Yeah, so my background is in marketing. Sales and marketing is where I started. And in sales and marketing, when you're on the advertising side, you spend a lot of your time trying to understand the consumers and looking into insights and trying to understand their problems so that you can communicate your solution in the best way that resonates. And then on the client side, so when you're working for the brand, you do the same thing, but you have a little bit more ability to actually influence the solution. So sometimes it means that you can amend the product or like create new products based on what you're learning about consumers. So I guess in that way, particularly on the client side, you actually start to become, you know, an entrepreneur. You start to like think about, you know, new solutions and, and building new things and getting the opportunity to execute on those things and see how it's done. And so the first 10 years of my career was sort of back and forth between client side and agency side and really like getting some practice and actually building things. Then I moved to New York and I never really thought about being an entrepreneur. Like that was never a plan. I just really enjoyed creating value and doing things differently. Um, and I worked for a telecommunications company and I was running sales and marketing and I had an opportunity to meet a company, meet with a company that the owner of our business had just invested in and he wanted me to catch up with them and find out if there was any opportunities um, and they basically had a business that created sim cards for travelers um, that made it cost effective to travel to different countries and talk because this is back in 2012 where bill shock was a big thing and people would travel to portugal and it would be a headline it would be like flights to portugal 200 dollars 
you know, phone bill, $2,000, you know, and it was just like these crazy roaming. And at the time, there was also this emergence of like over the top apps like WhatsApp and things like that, where you didn't need to have a phone number. You could just start to make phone calls and do things like that via internet. And all of this stuff was emerging and I had the opportunity or I had the idea um, of doing a SIM card very similar, but only with data. Um, and so basically no phone number and it sort of removed a lot of the barriers of a very complicated business. Um, and I pitched this idea to the owner and I, and I said, like, I think this would be a really great product that a lot of people would love. I think this is how we can do it. This is how much I think it would cost to do a trial. Um, and so I pitched it to him thinking that he would say, great, you know, hopefully, um, let's, let's build it. Um, and he did do that, but he didn't say as sales and marketing build this. He said, Sarah, set this up as a company. You're now going to be the CEO and I'm going to give you a million dollars to build this. And so I never expected to be an entrepreneur. And, and this was like, you know, getting given this opportunity on a silver platter. Um, but it allowed me to, you know, do something, you know, with financial backing and particularly I was in America, so I needed a visa. So it also allowed me to have a chairman that could hire me um, and get paid at that time a market salary, um, which were the, the provisions for, you know, having the E3 visa. So I was able to stay in New York and build this thing. And, you know, it was incredible. Like we built, like I, I look back on it and I was like, we executed this flawlessly. Like, you know, obviously there was like so many issues, but we had a great team. We had a great product. And what we had done is we didn't have very good pricing. So like this probably doesn't make sense to people, but you know, back in the day, like if you traveled internationally, data cost $20 a megabyte. It was like this crazy thing. And if you got like a negotiated rate with, you know, whoever your provider was, you could get it really cheap, like a few cents. And we were selling it for like 30 cents. So it was, de it was definitely like not good pricing. It was better than having nothing negotiated, but it wasn't good pricing. But what our insight was, was that people who travel internationally aren't price sensitive. They're just price sensible and they don't care if they're spending $100 to download a really important work document, but they don't want to get charged $100 when they turn on their, their phone for two seconds after getting off the plane or because they were playing words with friends with their mum, you know? So it was just that people wanted to have control over what they were spending. And so what we did is we said, we don't have great pricing, but we'll allow you to set a maximum for your day of $6 or $3 or $9 or $12 or whatever. And when you reach that limit, we'll stop you spending. And then you can see how long you have left until it refreshes or you can increase it. And so it was really successful. We, we launched um, after five months of building um, and then we grew revenue 10% week on week, which when you look at startups, the world of startups, that's kind of like, you know, that's the ideal, like what you're striving for. And so it was an incredible opportunity. We had this amazing product. Our customers loved us. But what had happened when this um, investor had given me this opportunity, he'd given me 4% in the company. And I never knew anything about startups. What I know about startups now is that when you build a startup, you take money and you give away a small piece of the company so that you own the company. So I really, it was reverse. Like I built this company from nothing and put my heart and soul and my team put their heart and soul and our suppliers and our customers and, and so on and so on. And I had zero control over the company. And this investor sort of had a bunch of companies in his portfolio and decided that he wanted to focus on enterprise and he was spread too thin. And so I had two weeks to shut down the company. So it was an incredible experience of like setting up a company and giving me the experience to go, oh, okay, I can be a CEO, I can be an entrepreneur. Um, and then also having to shut down a company. And so a lot of lessons there. Um, 
at that point, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd sort of seen, okay, so if I have a solution that I can see to a problem, I now know how to sort of go about executing it myself, not, not having to do it with a company. Um, but staying in the US, I really needed a visa. So I ended up going into a corporate role for another startup, which ended up being number one on the Inc. 500. We grew super fast. We went from zero to 118 million in revenue by year two, our second full year of operation. So it was huge. Um, and I, I sort of was an entrepreneur again for that company. And I stayed there for, for probably too long. It was, it was a great company and I really wanted to be in New York. Um, but I had this drive to be an entrepreneur. And so on the side, I started building apps. And so the first app I built was Weather Than. And it basically just showed you today's temperature and yesterday's temperature and told you that it's warmer than or colder than. Because I used to always like Google yesterday's temperature because I remember how I felt, but I couldn't remember the temperature. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of an experience of like learning how to build an app. So basically I built it or I designed it in PowerPoint because I have no power, like no real skills in design. And then I got referred to an engineering team in the Ukraine. And so I told them what I wanted to build. It was very simple. I gave them my PowerPoint designs and they built it. And it basically took a month and three and a half thousand dollars. And I had my first app in the store. So over the next few years, I started building more and more apps. But the reality is like when you're in a demanding job, like it's really hard um, to work on a side hustle and really give it your all because work gets busy or your personal life gets busy. So after six years, which was essentially a year ago, I decided to leave New York, come back to Australia and build Miss Tyler. Um, just because I knew that to really make something happen properly, I needed to give it, you know, my full attention. Incredible story, Sarah. That's amazing. And to have the opportunity, like you said, to start working on the first company and have the money to back you and do that, that's an incredible opportunity to have. But then you've also taken that to the next level with your own apps that you've started. And so could you talk us through the Miss Tile app and how it works and why you thought that this was the next venture that you wanted to start? Yeah, so I closed Doodad, shut down Doodad in 2013. And Miss Tyler was, I had an idea I had, well, I'll just say that again. So yeah, so we shut down Doodad in 2013. I had the idea for Miss Tyler pretty much straight after, possibly even before. And the whole idea of Miss Tyler was, I'm not particularly fashionable. I don't really enjoy shopping. A lot of my friends do, um, and they're amazing at it and they always look fantastic. But when they go shopping with me, they don't know how to dress me because they've perfected the art of dressing for themselves. And they're a different height to me and different size and different coloring and all those other things. So they're not actually that helpful for me. So I used to just wish I could find somebody who was the same height, the same size, et cetera, et cetera, that was more fashionable, that could do all the work of discovery and then I could just copy them. And so that was sort of the idea because it was like, I'm not fashionable. I don't like buying clothes, but I still have to get dressed every day. And I definitely know that when I don't feel confident about what I'm wearing, I feel very self-conscious and I sort of want to blend in. And when I feel confident with what I'm wearing, then, you know, I'm more present. Like I'm not thinking about what I'm wearing. I'm just like more present and available. So I had this idea and I created, well, I came up with the idea of the name as well. So Miss Tyler is my styler. And then I've just shifted the S across and turned into, you know, more of a human name and it's an undefined female. So I registered that domain in 2014. So I've been thinking about this idea, you know, for that next six years that I was in the corporate role. And when I was out with friends, I would always like talk about this idea. And I, I mean, I always had like a thousand different ideas. So I was always talking about different ideas, but Ms. Tyler is the one that my friends kept coming back to and saying, 
why can't you build that one? Like, that's the one that we really want to use. And these are like my fashionable friends as well, you know, that really were like, that just makes so much sense. Like, it seems crazy that you just can't go onto Instagram and find people that look like you. And in the world of fashion, I mean, at the moment, really to try to, to find something that fits and looks good, you really have to try it on. And so for online shopping, it basically means you're buying a lot of stuff. You try it on at home. The stats are actually that 91% of the things we bring back or buy online, we don't like. They're not satisfactory in terms of fit. Um, so we return a lot of it. So we return 30 to 40% of what we buy. And then I feel like we're all stuck with a bunch of stuff that's not quite right in our wardrobes that we don't really use. And so our wardrobes aren't super efficient. It's a huge inefficiency in the industry. It costs, it costs a ton in terms of returns. Um, and also a third of returns um, can't be resold. A lot of it ends up in landfill, so it's bad for the environment. Like it's just, it's just kind of like a mess. And so, you know, if you can find somebody who looks like you and they can essentially do the job of finding what looks good and trying it on for you, it just seems to make a lot more sense. So I decided to come back and, and give Miss Tyler a go. Such an amazing, yeah, concept and I can see it taking off. I've been using, having me play around with the app and it's it's so cool. It's almost having a combination between an Instagram, Pinterest board at your fingertips plus online shopping. <laughs> it's, it's really, really great. And you sort of touched on a little bit about how you were working in a corporate role and then you also had this as your side hustle. Um, I think that's something that would resonate with a lot. I mean, I know for me that's like what I'm doing at the moment and I know a lot of people are like that as well. So how did you get the confidence, I guess, to take that jump from having your role, but actually just being like, okay, I'm going to go all in with these ideas that I've got and, and pursue those? Yeah, well, I think if you take any idea and you try and work backwards and, and think about what can I do now before I take a leap to validate? You know, and so part of that was, you know, talking to a lot of people and just hearing people say, yes, I would like that too. Part of that is researching and seeing if there's anything else like that. And then the next part of it is sort of almost like thinking about how you do it. So before you kind of start doing it, like, how would I do this? And Miss Tyler is, is, you know, it's, it's a really challenging startup because it's a marketplace. So for it to work, you need to have women contributing. So it's, it's like taking Instagram and starting Instagram. Like the first time you download it, if no one's on there, it's got no value. So you need to have content before it's got value. So I started thinking about how I would solve for that chicken and the egg. And I decided that, you know, celebrity data is available. So why don't I just, you know, use celebrities as a proxy for women? And that way I could launch and have immediate value while we sort of recruited these contributors. And so to validate. So I sort of, I guess, thought through it like that. And I thought this could be great PR, like, you know, this could be like a fun, you know, quiz. Like, I, I feel like I would love to do that. Like, who's your celebrity body double, you know? And so I started, um, I created a, an Excel spreadsheet and I just started Googling um, celebrities and Googling their height um, and their dress size and, you know, all that stuff. And it turns out that you can pretty much find for every celebrity their hips, bust, waist measurements. And so I just started doing data entry. And so, you know, that, that was sort of a lot of the validation I'd had to kind of go, okay, this is how I can do it. And then while I was at um, this last corporate role, I was working for one of our brands, Mint Mobile was direct to consumer wireless. Um, and we were spending a lot on online. Um, and one thing that I did for that company was I rolled out our affiliate marketing. 
And affiliate marketing is like this huge growing marketing channel. And basically what it means is that you have all these publishers, which, you know, in the old days were like websites and now it's bloggers and influencers and social media and so on. And these people, you know, have a lot of power in terms of recommendations. So it's, it's a link to buy something online. So, you know, I love this mascara, click here to buy it then the mascara brand can say, okay, great. If you're going to bring me a sale, we're going to give you back 10% of the price to you to say thank you for the sale. So that's essentially affiliate marketing. And it's really powerful because for brands, normally they're paying, you know, I'm going to pay $5,000 for an ad and I don't know what the results are going to be. Maybe it'll be really effective or maybe it won't. Whereas with affiliate marketing, you're only paying if the sale comes in. So it's low risk. They can set it at a price that's below their, their normal cost of acquisition. Um, so it's, really simple and now that the technology around it is really sophisticated so it can be really scalable so for mint mobile it became we, we were spending a lot on marketing so we had a super bowl ad that was like five million us um so we were spending a lot and within the first year affiliate marketing had become our most cost effective successful marketing channel and so i was like wow this would work for miss tyler <laughs> so all of a sudden i had a business model that worked for this solution. And then the second thing that I worked on for Miss Mobile that was relevant was influencer marketing. So I started looking into the world of influencers and I realized, you know, there was a huge trend where, you know, power was shifting from, you know, these macro influencers to really the micro influencers, you know, where people, you know, can follow people. And it's not about their user count. It used to be about who was most popular. Now it's like who most relates to me. So people that I see as authentic, people that I see who have the same problems as me or you know that have the same values as me um so that was sort of shifting and i could see this trend where you know influencers who used to be paid on campaign fees again like the old world of advertising you pay and you have no idea of the results to affiliate marketing so hey like i can now promote things that i genuinely like and i can get paid for that so that sort of is the business model for miss tyler so i guess like all these things are sort of culminating over time and then i guess in terms of i mean i I don't think that I'm a risk taker, but I think that I'm quite adaptable. And one thing I always do is I think about what's the worst thing that could happen. And if I can deal with that and I'm okay with that, then I'm not really taking much of a risk. It's all okay. And so for me, I'd had sort of six years of pent up wanting to be an entrepreneur full time. So I was just like totally ready to do it. And, I, and coming back to Australia, I was sad to leave New York, but coming back to Australia, I was like, I'm back. I've got family. I've got friends. I don't need a visa. Worst case, I go live with my parents and I get a job at Woolworths. And will I feel like a loser being 40 and living with my parents? I just turned 40. Um, yes. But will I survive it? Yes. <laughs> so for me, I was like, you know, I don't have anything to lose. Like, I'm just going to come back and do that and give it a, give it a go. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so good. And it's, I love hearing that it's actually been quite a journey. Like you said, you've learned so many things along the way and other roles that have helped you get to the point where you're at now. And also hearing about taking that risk, but thinking about what the worst thing that could happen is. That's so inspiring. Because I think a lot of people are too scared to take those risks sometimes. But coming back to actually what's the worst that could happen here is, is such a good way to think about it. Um, it's so inspiring what you've done. And it's going to be so exciting to see where this app goes as well um and another question i had for you is around i mean 
the tech industry is one where there's a lot more women that are starting to innovate in this space and really successfully as well. But how have you stood your ground as a woman in the tech industry and how do you think that this is a strength that, that you can bring to the industry? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think telecommunications, which which is where I spent most of my career, is pretty male-dominated as well. So I guess I got pretty comfortable just being around, you know, majority men. Um, I honestly feel like where I've had the biggest, um, where I've found that I've struggled the most in this situation has been honestly fundraising, raising money for Miss Tyler. Um, you know, I went through an incubator program called Antler. And so I was super lucky that I went through and I had all these peers that were going through the same journey as me at the same time. We got access to a lot of investor introductions. Antler invested, um, they, they invested money in us originally. So that was our pre-seed. So we had some money to get started. Um, but when I look at sort of even the people within sort of our cohort, it seems like the male founders raise more, more easily. And that, that's sort of, I guess, like an impression that it's, it's felt like it's been a lot harder for the women. Like we've had to prove more, we've had to do more. You know, our check sizes are smaller, you know, and there's less checks. And then I was speaking to a few people because I couldn't put a, my finger on it because the meeting seemed really respectful. Everyone was taking us seriously. Like they were, they were doing due diligence and actually like understanding the business and, you know, really diving into like, you know, what are the risks and starting to understand, break apart the business model and like understand how things worked. So I couldn't really figure out why because I felt like I was doing a good job of explaining it all and I have like a credible background and I've, I've done this before. Um, and then all this research has come out and they basically interviewed or sorry, they've, they've observed a lot of meetings between female founders and investors and male, invest, male founders and investors. And what they found was the questions are different. So women get asked more questions about the business model and the risks. And so even if you come out of that meeting and you've done a great job of explaining like that you've thought of everything and you've got a contingency for everything and that you understand the business back to front, they come away and they're like, okay, well, it's an interesting idea. And, you know, maybe it's like lower risk. You know, we want to back, we want to back females. Like there's definitely like a desire to like, you know, write it and back females, but it's not that interesting. And then a male founder goes in and the questions are about what is the potential could this be the next big thing? You know, how big is the market? You know, like how big is this problem? And so they come out of that meeting and they're like, yeah, is it risky? Of course, like all startups are risky, but do we want to miss out? We can't miss out on this. Like this could be the next big thing. And so if you think about it in that way, it's like, it becomes pretty like obvious that, you know, like which is the one that you're going to invest in, the one that you just can't afford to miss out on or the one that's kind of like a lower risk. So I, I definitely think I have... I can now identify with that. And I honestly don't know how to resolve that, but I have been very fortunate. So I've just come out of a period of raising and I've had amazing angel investors that have backed me. Um, there has been a lot of meetings that, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many meetings I've been in, but I mean, I've been rejected a lot. <laughs> and, and the best people reject you really nicely. Um, some of them are a little bit like less thoughtful, but I definitely feel like I've been exhausted through that process because I definitely feel like, you know, they're trying to like break you apart. So that I think is a huge gender bias and something that I want to be part of trying to solve. 
Um, there's one organization which is global and it's called SheEO. And what happens in SheEO is that you pay $1,000 a month to be an activator, they call it. And that money goes into a fund. And then every year they interview female-founded businesses and they split that money up and they give it to these female-founded businesses as a business grant that is interest-free and payable over five years. And so you have no equity, you're just basically contributing to something to help women get funding because it's just so much harder for us to get funding. And then they've had actually, I mean, I'm part of it and I don't even mind if, if they never pay back the money, but obviously the benefit is if they pay back the money, there's more in the fund so more females can get funded. But you're not doing it because you have equity and you want it to be the next big thing. You're doing it because you just want to support the ecosystem. But in saying that, it's interesting because when I spoke to them, they, they were saying the rate of payback is extremely high. So, I mean, women really, you know, they're taking the money and they're using it wisely and it's giving people, you know, a chance to do something because you can bootstrap um, and, you know, I bootstrapped, I sort of bootstrapped all the other apps that I worked on, but some ideas need money to really be successful. And so it gives those women a chance to, to take it to the next level. So I don't know how else I can help, but there's definitely, you know, and, and I guess it, Another thing that I do is, you know, I try to be really open about startups and my journey and like, you know, what it takes to build a startup. And so, because I think a lot of people have ideas and they just don't know where to start. And, you know, they'll see like Shark Tank or Dragon's Den, you know, and, and, you know, that's a point in time where they're seeing them pitch, but it's like, how do they get started? And so even with Miss Tyler, we have a, a startup series, which is on our Instagram and in the app. And every week we just sort of talk about, you know, something that's happening in the business. Um, you know, I think it was like three months in, which feels like way too late, that we worked out how to do an automated welcome email. <laughs> so it's like, you know, these, these things, you know, you're, you're a small business, you're a lean team, you're figuring stuff out, out as you go, you're having to constantly prioritize, but sort of sharing that journey and showing people sort of what goes into it, I think is sort of another way to help, you know, encourage women to be entrepreneurs and also investors. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so good seeing that behind the scenes because like you said it's not something you often see and I've talked about this with some other guests on the podcast as well I think with social media now we've got this idea that everything's just perfect and people just wake up one morning and they're really successful and we kind of sometimes lose sight of actually all the hard work and the resilience that needs to go into that journey and that for us that are on those journeys that that's actually normal and there's so many other women who have gone through that as well um and I guess coming back to what you said there about some of the times you've been rejected with your investments or you've really had to keep persevering, how was that for you and what sort of kept you going um, in some of those harder times? Yeah, so, I mean, startups really are a roller coaster of extremes. Um, so if you are building a startup that needs venture capital or, you know, investment, then the only reason somebody's going to invest in you is if they believe it can be a billion-dollar idea because the stats are that, you know, nine out of 10 or higher of these businesses are going to fail. So if they invest in 10 businesses, one of them has to be so successful that it will pay back all the others plus some. <laughs> so basically, if you're successful, you're going to be a billion dollar company. And if you're unsuccessful, you're going to fail. And so those are your two extremes. And so on a daily basis, you're thinking, we're going to be a billion dollar company. This amazing thing just happened. Like, it's going to be amazing. And the next day you think, oh my gosh, like, you know, are we going to run out of money? Am I going to run out of energy? Is this like just taking too much of an emotional toll? Um, and so you have all these runways. And so you just think, oh, you know, are we going to be the failure? Um, I think you just have to have conviction that 
you know, you have a vision that you know that you can deliver on. Uh, I think in a startup, even if these people don't invest or things go wrong, you just know that you can keep pushing it forward. So even if it just came back to, and I had nothing else, I would keep pushing it forward. Um, and another thing that I've done is we keep a track of, you know, milestones or like highlights. Um, and then we also have a, we keep, we keep track of our misses. <laughs> so when things have gone wrong and when you look back at those, it's a reminder that there's always positive things that you're building towards. So for instance, um, on a quarterly basis, we look at it and we're like, what were we celebrating in that quarter? We had 200 followers on, on Instagram and that was really exciting for us, you know, and we had, um, we launched our first welcome email, you know, and so you look back at what we were excited by and it seems so small now compared to like where we are at. And so that really shows you progression. And then you also look at your misses um, and you see those things that went completely wrong that you remembered that emotion around that time. And then you just go, but like, look at how much we navigated and like, we've gone through so much before, like we can get past this next stuff. So I think just, you know, like recording those things and then reflecting on them and just reminding yourself you've done it before and you're moving forward is, is really good. Because sometimes it does feel like you're climbing a mountain and you can't sit the top. And sometimes like all of a sudden, like I've gone, I've got, gone through periods where you, you hit a milestone and then all of a sudden you're like, I think I'm at the very, very bottom of it again. <laughs> so it can be exhausting. But, you know, just you have to keep that, that big picture vision and surround yourself with really supportive people as well. Yeah, that's such good advice. And celebrating those wins is so important. I think especially as women, sometimes we can sort of not give ourselves as much credit as we should. You know, we, we sort of have got really high standards and so we don't actually take that time always to actually celebrate our wins, big or small. So that's that's really awesome advice. And I know with the Miss Tyler app, um, a lot of it is on, you know, the values for it seem to be that it's wanting to be very inclusive and support women in terms of um, all different body shapes, sizes, styles, um, which is so awesome because I think that's sort of coming through a little bit now with some marketing in women's fashion and beauty. Um, but it's definitely where things are heading, which is such a refreshing change. So could you sort of talk a little about that and why you think it's so important um, for you creating this app? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we really want our contributors, which are our women, you know, that are, that are sharing their fashion wins. We really want our contributors to match our users and we really want our, our users to match the population. And when you think about fashion, you think about, you know, that most women are six foot tall, blonde, blue eyes, 20 and size six, because that's what fashion depicts. And so fashion has traditionally been really inaccessibly aspirational and exclusive and not for everyone. Um, our contributors, you know, really do, we have contributors from size six to size 26. We have contributors that are in their seventies. Um, we have contributors from all over the world of all different colors, of all different shapes and sizes. Um, and it's incredible because now it doesn't matter. I mean, up in Queensland actually, uh, we have a bunch of contributors that just came to a recent photo shoot and three of them were size 20. And these are the most beautiful, fashionable, stylish, confident women that you've ever met. And so it's just amazing. Like, so you could be size 20 and go on to Miss Tyler and get matched with all these women that are body confident and, sh and love fashion. And 
you could look at these women and go, not only do they look fabulous, but I could look like that. And really one of, one of our wins, or to me, like one of the most powerful moments of Miss Tyler was we received an email from a woman saying, thank you, Miss Tyler. I feel content. I spent my life feeling really insecure about my body. And now at the age of 78, I feel human. And so, you know, and really I'm not fashionable. Miss Tyler isn't about being fashionable. It's about, you know, allowing women to do what they want to do and wear what they want to wear and, you know, give that out to the community. And then you can find people that are your size and your height so you can see how things will look. And you just choose to follow people whose style you like. So you may not like their style, so don't follow them. Or you could even follow somebody who doesn't match you, but then at least you can see their data and go, okay, well, they're three centimeters taller than me and they've got slightly bigger boobs than me, but at least now I have that information to know how things fit. So we kind of just, you know, allow, you know, women to do that. Um, but yeah, so for us, it's diversity is super important. And really what we want to do is create a space where every woman can feel represented. That's incredible. That's that's so inspiring to see that that's really what this platform is based on and to give women that space to do that. Um, it's so it's so incredible and so inspiring. And I, like I said, just can't wait to see it grow and also for the women listening to the podcast to get involved and get on the app and see how much it can help them and inspire them as well. And my last question I have for you, Sarah, is... What would your advice be that you wish someone had told you when you were a young woman starting out in your career? Yeah, so as you said before, like women sometimes aren't very good at celebrating their own wins. You know, we, we're very like, you know, hard taskmasters. And sometimes like you'll look at other people and you'll go, whoa, that person's so amazing. Like I could never be like that person. But then... There's an exercise that I sometimes do that I think everyone should do, and it's basically be your own PR person. So imagine that you were you were employed to present yourself in the most positive, flattering way, and it has to be facts. But you know, it could be like, well, I graduated from this, and like, what, we have this like in a narrative that it's like, yeah, but I, you know, I wasn't the top of the class, or I kind of got access to it because of X, Y, Z, or like, you know, whatever. But like the PR person's not going to do that. They're going to say graduated from this place. And that is fact, you know, so kind of do this exercise of like thinking about all the amazing things that you've done without the if, but, however's, and sort of put that out there. And then when you read it back to yourself, you're like, that is all true. And that is amazing. And if I read about that person, I would think that that person was incredible because we are, we all do our own things, but we just can be so hard on ourselves. So I think that's a really great exercise. And I think particularly in if, in the field of sort of like innovational startups. Nothing needs to be perfect. Things don't even need to be good if you're adding value. So I think sometimes like you don't need to be hard on yourself. If something doesn't exist yet, it's almost impossible to be able to like create something new and make it amazing. Like that takes time. But if you can make it better and add some value, then you can take that pressure off and people are really forgiving. And I think, you know, for Miss Tyler, we are so new and that's part of, you know, doing the startup stories. We are a small team, like we are just getting started. It is not perfect. It, we know we need to be better. Um, and it's been incredible because the people that have been attracted to Miss Tyler, particularly our contributors and, you know, our customers as well, you know, they're not 
sort of saying, you know, this is crap and this needs to be better. They're just saying, thank you for doing something differently. And we understand that you're new and that you're getting started and we're supporting you. Um, yeah, which is, which is incredible. And I think just a lot of that comes from being human and being authentic and being transparent. And so the more you can do that, then the more forgiving people will be. That's what I think people want now as well is that authenticity and that humanness um, that they can relate to. So I think that's so important. And um, I know definitely for me, that's something that I have when I was looking at the app and, and your, your page, and your contributors, and everything. I just love that it's real women, you know, talking about real issues and supporting other women and real bodies. And it's, it's so, so fantastic. So thank you for creating such a great platform and, for taking the time to share today some of your story because it's absolutely incredible. Um, and if people would like to follow you and also follow Miss Tyler, where's the best place they can check you out online? Yeah, so well, first of all, definitely head to the App Store or Google Play and download MIS, which is M-Y-S space Tyler. Um, and then Instagram is actually fantastic. So as you said, like we promote, so anyone you see on our Instagram wall are essentially contributors. Um, so you can go on there and see a lot of their content. Um, so that's Ms.Tyler. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm honestly that great, but you're welcome to follow me at Sezzy.Neil, S-E-Z-Z-Y dot N-E-I-L-L. Um, but yeah, Instagram is fantastic. And Larissa, who's come online as our, she was my intern. She just graduated in November and she's come on board as community and social media manager. And she's amazing. Um, and she creates the most fun reels from like our photo shoots and content with our contributors. So Instagram is the place to be outside of the app. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us on the podcast today. It's really incredible to hear some more about the story to starting Miss Tyler and also your incredible career that you've had to get you to this point. Um, I love the innovation that you've got, but also the determination and the grit that's involved in um, the behind the scenes of these startup ventures. So thank you for being open and for sharing that with us today. And I hope that everyone has taken some really awesome insights out of um, what Sarah has, has shared with us. And so if you'd like to connect with Sarah on Instagram, then you can check her out there. And also the Miss Tyler app is available to, to be downloaded. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to keep up to date with the latest Young Woman podcasts, then make sure you take a look at our website and also follow us on Instagram at The Young Woman. Thank you very much for joining.